some essential practices, some habits that are beneficial on this, well, this journey that we're all on. This is a journey called discipleship. The Christian life is a journey, and it's been said, uh, it's not the destination, it's the journey. And as we've said here, the journey is the destination. You don't want to miss out on any aspect of this experience, this adventure that God has called us to, uh, wherein you become made to be more like Jesus Christ. And along the way, what will assist in that process are these habits that are uh, found in the Word of God. And we've been talking about those. The first week we talked about the importance of having a daily quiet time, a, a devotional, if you will, some time alone with Christ. You've got to have a pattern of that. You can't become like someone if you don't spend time with them. And so we talked about that. Last week we talked about uh, how to get the most out of your Bible. And so we, we gave you some very practical uh, Bible study methodology so that you can, you can come to Scripture with confidence that I know I can discern what is in the Word of God. And that's going to be incorporated into your daily time with the Lord. And then also incorporated into that time is what we're going to talk about tonight, which is prayer. Prayer is the lifeblood of the Christian life. How many of you remember the very first prayer you ever prayed? Do you remember what it was? Some of you do. Wow, that's pretty impressive. Uh, we, we often learn that if we grow up in a Christian home, we learn that when we're very young because mom and dad teach us some, some very simple patterns of prayer. I know that we did that with my oldest son when he was just a little tyke. Uh, we wanted to teach him patterns of prayer. Typically, that opportunity arose around bedtime. And so we were teaching him a very simple formula for prayer, and we would try to get him started. You know, thank you, Jesus, for... And then dot, 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 he would fill it in, and, and we'd go through family members. Thank you, Jesus, for mommy. Thank you, Jesus, for daddy. Thank you, Jesus, for, for nana and papa and grammy and granddad. And when he'd run out of family members, he would just start, you know, saying the names of his favorite cartoon characters, you know. <laughs> and, uh, but it was about establishment of that pattern. Uh, maybe you remember your bedtime prayers growing up. Mine were very formulaic, but I got to be honest. In hindsight, I'm wondering if they were the best prayers for me to be praying. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord. If I should, why am I going to be dying before I wake? That's the stuff of nightmare. Is this why kids all need nightlights? Is because we're teaching them they might die before they wake? Uh, and then as we grow, we start to incorporate prayer and other aspects of our life. It's no longer just at bedtime. It's at mealtime, and you pray before meals. And of course, you begin to learn by osmosis that you, you pray when difficult situations arise. This is what you do. You just, you just go to the Lord whenever, whenever there's a calamity. How many people were in church on their knees after 9-11? Right? How long did that last? Not, not long enough, right? But what is the, the truth from Scripture? The fact is that prayer is to be an ongoing part of your life as a believer. And I want to start by looking at the quintessential text on prayer, probably the most well-known passage on prayer. Now, uh, this is not going to be uh, the definitive sermon on prayer. I have taught on prayer here at Lamb's Chapel since my arrival in November uh, as part of our Ephesians study. I will teach on it again. I am sure of it. When we get to the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to tackle this in detail. Uh, we're not going to do that tonight. What I want to do is I want to give you an introductory. I want to give you an overview of prayer, what it is, why we do it, how we do it, and when we do it, because this is part of well, the basics, 
okay? But look at this with me. Matthew 6, this is the words of Jesus. He says in verse 5, and when you pray, well, that tells you a lot right there, doesn't it? Not if you pray, not as the occasion necessitates. No, no. He says when, there's an expectation here, when you pray. You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. That's a marvelous truth right there. And then he says, pray then like this. And here's what I want us to do. I'd like us to stand right now. And let's let this be our invocation. You read it along with me as we all know this. All right, here we go. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And just because I know you want to, even though it's not in this text, let's go ahead and say it in the finest King James English we got, okay? For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever, amen. That's a fine invocation. Would you sit and be seated right there? Some of you may be wondering, why, why is that portion not in Matthew 6 if we're accustomed to saying it, if that's our tradition? I don't have time to get into that tonight. We'll hit that another time, all right? But what I want to do tonight is I want to answer those questions. What is, what is prayer? Why is it important? How do we do it? Well, the first thing I want you to see in your notes is this is the most important activity in our lives. It's the most important activity in our lives. Uh, you, could, you could base that off of the sheer volume, the, the amount of biblical real estate devoted to prayer. Did you know that there are 650 prayers listed in the Bible? 650. Where was the first one? Where's the first time prayer is mentioned in Scripture? Does anybody know that? How did Adam and Eve communicate with God? They talked to him directly, didn't they? They walked with him. In the cool of the garden, physically walking with him, they talked to him as you and I might talk to one another. Uh, that came to an end when they fell in sin, when they disobeyed God. They were, they were ousted from the garden. He took them out. There was a breaking. There was a separation in that, uh, that dialogue. But God would not ban mankind from communicating with him. And another means would arise. And we see this in Genesis 4 and verse 26. It says, to Seth... Remember him, Seth? That would be the child born to Eve after the death of Abel. You've got Seth. Seth grew up, lived a life. Born to him was a son. It says a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. Enosh. And then it says, at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. And so here we've got, we've got the origin of what you and I consider prayer. This, this concept of coming to God and communicating in a way that he hears. 
It was as though God recognized a separation had happened via sin, but he allowed for lines of communication to remain open, and the avenue by which that is achieved is called prayer. There are approximately 450 recorded answers to prayer in Scripture. Uh, It records Jesus praying on 25 different occasions during his earthly ministry, and that's obviously not the totality of times when he would pray. We know that he had an ongoing habitual routine of prayer. In the Bible, Paul mentions prayer uh, in various ways, either specific prayers that he prays in his writings. There are prayer reports. There are prayer requests. There are exhortations for others to pray. 41 instances of that. I would say this is an important activity in our lives. And then in your notes, we pray uh, as a way to be sustained by God. That's what prayer is. It's a way to be sustained. Sustained. Do we know what that word means? To be sustained. Uh, I, I, I don't know that we do. Christianity is often described as a relationship, right? Is that true? You've heard it Described as a relationship. You've probably described it as a relationship. It certainly is a relationship. However, I think that we have done a disservice to the concept by calling it that sometimes. Because I think when we do that, we equate it with every other relationship that we have. We think of our relationship with God just like we think of any other relationship. Folks, it's more than that. It's so much more than that. It's beyond all of that. People get very chummy when they talk about their connection to God. Uh, It is a relationship. When you pray, uh, I consider that a conversation. Is a conversation just one person talking? It is not. And so when we pray, that conversation is a two-way conversation. Now, I don't land in the camp necessarily of assuming that every time you pray, you're going to hear an audible voice from God. Uh, I think God can do whatever he wants to do, but I do think that we receive from him when we are in prayer, and that can be via, via the scriptures. I think he can confirm things in our heart, in our spirit. We are certainly indwelled by his Holy Spirit. And so when we come to him in prayer, it is not just for us to, to, to babble on and him to remain silent. I believe that we receive things in prayer. And what we receive, we need. We desperately need What is the extent of our desperation? How desperate are we for God? I look at the words of King David in Psalm 63, verse 1. And and I want you to to really look at this verse with me. There are some some words used here, some turns of phrase. I don't even know what to do with. He says, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. All right, so so far we're, we're seeing a man who appears to be thirsting to death. He's parched. Uh, it's like he's on the brink of death. If he doesn't get to the Lord's stat, he's going to wither away. He's going to fade. That's desperation. This man needs God. He goes on, he says, so I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. Better than life? Like, as in more than the air I breathe, more than the blood pumping through my veins, your love Better than all that. My lips will praise you. I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. So we see worship there. We see dependence. We see total commitment. Watch this, verse 5. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. 
There's a sustenance he describes. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. Now, check this out, verse six. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Folks, when I read that, I have a little trouble resonating with that level of desperation. I've got to be honest with you. Okay, when, when we throw about words like, you know, Christianity is a relationship. I think of the relationships that I have. I don't have any relationships like this in my, in my human relationships. There are none. Okay, there are passages of scripture that I relate to more easily than I do this one. And I'm speaking very honestly and naturally with you. Okay, when I see Isaiah speaking in in terms of reverence, when he says, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips, and he falls on his face before the Lord, I can can get that. I can resonate with that. Sometimes I feel inadequate, as do you, I'm sure. And there's a spirit of reverence there, and I relate to that. There are other passages that, that almost speak of a camaraderie, a friendship. Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. And I'm like, yeah, I like that. I connect with that. I read this, and I'm going, man, do I have this level of desperation? I don't have any friendships like this in my human connections, my network of friends. I've got buddies. I've got friends. Billy G over here is my friend. When I see Billy on Sunday or in the hallway, you know, we do that cool guy hug it out thing. You know, we start from a distance. We're like, bro. We come in, and we do that little handshake thing, maybe a little quick fist bump on the back, on his back there. And, you know, we hug, but it's a quick hug because we're men. (laughs) And we back away, you know. And, uh, you know, we do that. I tell you what I don't do with Billy G. I don't go, my flesh faints for you. (laughs) My soul clings to you. Last night when I was on my bed through all the watches of the night, I thought of you constantly. I don't say that. This is not just a buddy. This is the object of my desire. I need to be desperate for God. He is my sole sustenance. I can't go on a day, a moment, a nanosecond without him. That's to be the level of desperation. And prayer is where that desperation becomes apparent. Then in your notes, prayer is a benefit of the access that we have to God through Jesus Christ. You have access. Do we appreciate that? Do we even fathom the access that we have? I mean, really. When I was growing up, my dad's a pastor, still is. He's in his 70s. He pastored in Oklahoma when I was uh, but a kid back in the early 80s. And he had a pastor friend. My dad's study was there in the home. And his, his friend, uh, Jerry, was a pastor. And they would call one another. And they would just encourage each other. They would lament to one another. Pastors need other pastors in their life. And at the end of every conversation on the phone, they would pray together. 
And so on one such Saturday morning, my dad's on the phone with Jerry, and they've wrapped up their conversation, and they are now in prayer on the phone. I have a little brother named Micah, and he was just a little tyke at the time, and he comes tearing through the house. He's been playing outside. He's a sweaty little kid, and he's running through, and he's loud, and he's got no regard for decorum or anything, and he runs into my dad's office, and at the last second, my mom grabs him by the back of the shirt, scoops him up with a shh, and carries him away saying, your daddy's talking to God. His eyes got this big around. He said, where to get the number? <laughs> Folks, you've got the number. You got a direct line to God, to the Almighty. And he will hear you when you pray. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Psalm 4, 3, but know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. I cannot tell you how many Christians don't believe that. Not all the time. They don't. They, they struggle with that. They're like, I just don't, I don't know that he hears me. I feel like I pray. I just don't believe that he hears me. And they look at that. It's right there. The Lord has set apart the godly for himself. He will hear when I call. And they're like, yeah, but I'm not godly. Enough. I'm not godly enough. They think of themselves as, as subpar, that they've fallen short. And in our natural state, that is true. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we are in our natural state disqualified, but it goes on in verse 24. It says that we're justified by his grace as a gift as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, a substitute by his blood to be received in faith to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he has passed over former sins. When you know Christ, when you put your faith in him, you are justified. That means he looks at you and he's declared you righteous. When he sees you, he doesn't see your natural state, he sees Jesus. And so you have access to him, and he hears you when you call. And this is a pet topic of mine, because there are people, Christian people, that this is important, and they struggle with this. And I'm telling you, they either conquer this, or they are conquered. If you don't get this, you're going to struggle in your discipleship journey. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins and uh, uh, he is faithful. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Did you do that when you were born again? Guess what? You are cleansed. You are cleansed. And people still wrestle with it. They're like, well, but I still sin. I still sin. Even though I'm saved, I still sin. Isn't sin what separates us from God? Yes, sin has separated from you from the Lord until you are cleansed. Do you still sin as a fact of the reality of your flesh? Yes, but your inward man is redeemed. Your inward man is cleansed. And so in terms of your state, your position in Christ, there is nothing that separates you from him. There is nothing that separates from you from him. And people just are reluctant to believe that. They're like, I, I don't believe. Now, let me ask you, does the Bible address situations in which God does not hear people's prayer? Yes, it does. It says, he will not hear those that remain in sin. Psalm 66, 18, if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, 
the Lord would not have listened. He does not hear those who have rejected his call. Proverbs 66, 28, they will call on me, but I will not answer. Those who ignore the cries of the poor, he will not hear. According to Proverbs 21, 13, whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. He will not hear those who worship idols. Jeremiah eleven fourteen. Don't pray for this people or lift up a cry or prayer on their behalf, for I will not listen when they call to me in the time of their trouble. Uh, he will not hear those who have no faith. James says, James 1, 6, let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Let not that man expect he will receive anything from the Lord. He will not respond to those who are proud. God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. He will not listen to those who mistreat his people. Micah 3, 4, they will cry to the Lord, but he will not answer them. But what do all those categories have in common? They do not refer to the redeemed. None of those describe you if you are born again. Not one of those passages has as its context the believer. Okay? And so as the regenerate, uh, redeemed child of God, you have access to God the Father and he will hear you when you call. I want to be unequivocal about that. And then what is prayer? It is a, in your notes, a dialogue involving the entire Trinity. The whole Godhead, Father, Son, Spirit. All right? Think about that. Let's break that down. You have access to the Father. The Father. God, the Father. Ephesians 2.18, for through him we have both access in one spirit to the Father. The Creator. In 1977, Voyager 2, the interplanetary probe, it was launched to observe and report data back to Earth about our solar system. <laughs> it left Earth traveling faster than the speed of a bullet, 90,000 miles per hour. On August 28, 1989, it reached Neptune. Do you know how far away Neptune is? It's 2.7 billion miles from Earth. It then left our solar system. It's, it's not going to come within one light year of a star for like 950,000 years. Do you know how many stars are in our galaxy? There are 100 million stars like our sun. Do you know how many galaxies there are? Our galaxy is one of 100 million galaxies. God made them all. In Genesis, it describes the detail with which he crafted our world, the atmosphere, the sky, the birds, the clouds, the earth, the land, the seas, the mountains, the animals, the sea creatures. And after all of that, in, in what appears to be almost a throwaway line, it says, and he also made the stars. Like it, and he made the stars. He just, he just breathed them out. There they are. 100 billion galaxies, a million galaxies. And you have access to that, Father. And so that is, that is a, a, a relational thing. So you have access to the Father, but you have access to the Father in your notes through the Son. Through the Son. John 14, 13. It says, whatever you ask in my name, Jesus is speaking, you, you pray and you pray in my name. That I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So when we pray, we, name, we pray in the name of Jesus. Who is Jesus? He's the Son. He is God the Son. He's the second member of the Trinity. And by the way, when we pray in his name, this is not just tacking in Jesus' name, amen, on the end of your prayer. 
Now we do that. I, I, I think that's good to do that. But that, that's not all that is meant by praying in his name. The name of Christ that is a stamp on your life, is, it, it lends authority. It lends credence to that prayer. Can you cash a check for $100 million? Theoretically, but not if the name on the bottom of that check is Scott Grimm. All right? I'm sorry, that sucker's going to bounce, okay? Now, if the, che- if the name on that check is Elon Musk, different story. Well, there's power in the name of Jesus. We pray in the authority in the name of Jesus Christ. We have access to the Father through the Son and then by the Spirit. You are indwelled with the Spirit. Let me give you one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible, passages in the whole Bible. It's in Romans 8, which, by the way, is the greatest chapter in the Bible, if you want to know. Uh, the greatest verse in the Bible, I think, is Romans 8, 1, but I love this one, too. Romans eight twenty six. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. Can you relate to that? You, you, are you ever there? You ever like, I just, I don't, even, I don't even know where to begin. I don't know what to pray for. I don't even know how to pray. I know I need to pray. I don't know what to pray. I don't even know the words to say. If you can relate to that, this is for you. But the spirit, even if you don't recognize that you feel that way at times, believe me, you don't know what to pray sometimes. And when that's the case, the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he, that's the Spirit, who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Actually, he refers to God the Father who knows the mind of the Spirit. It's hard to pray sometimes. But the good news is when you don't know how to pray, it's taken care of. Because you've got a spirit indwelling you that is God. Who knows the will of God better than God? Nobody. And the spirit is God. And the spirit indwells you. And he prays for you. When you don't know how to pray, he prays on your behalf. And he knows the will of God. And so he is praying according to the will of God. You say, well, when I pray, I want to pray according to the will of God. Well, you might and you might not know what that is. You say, well, I don't, I don't want to pray for something that's outside the will of God. What if I ask God for something that's not in his will? Well, then he won't do it. But the good news is you've got a spirit that knows exactly what the will of God is, and he is praying for you. All right? So that is what prayer is. Now, why? Why do we pray? Well, first we pray to be in relationship with Christ. We've talked about the nature of that relationship. It's not like any other relationship you have, but here's, here's what is true of all relationships, this one included. If it's gonna be deep, there's got to be communication. Can you have a deep relationship with no communication? How about a little test? You just go home tonight, and from now on for six months, don't speak to your spouse. Some of you are already there, and that's another sermon. But let's just see how that goes. I'm not actually advocating for this, but you would, you would recognize that would be detrimental. That would not be good for the relationship. No, you need to be in communication with God. And then in your notes, we pray to become like Christ. What's the whole purpose of all of this? It's to be like him. Well, you know what he did a lot of? Praying. And so if we're going to emulate him, we should do what he does. And he was always praying. He was always praying. And he was teaching his disciples about prayer as we read. And he said, when you pray, 
It's just an expectation. This is something that's a part of your existence as one of my followers. And then in your notes, you pray to change your perspective. We pray to change our perspective. Okay? We don't always get what we ask for in prayer. Is that true? Whether we're looking for an answer or a provision of some sort or a possession of some sort or whatever it is. We don't always get that. Is it still worth it to pray? Yeah, because it changes your perspective when you pray. There are benefits to prayer. When we pray, you remember Christ? Uh, Lord, let this cup pass from me. Remember that prayer? Did that cup pass? No. What was the other part of his prayer? Nevertheless, let your will, not mine, be done. Right? Prayer changes us. Even when we don't get what we ask for, there's a benefit to us because we discover aspects of his truth. We learn about dependence. We receive uh, knowledge of the assurance of God's fatherhood toward us, his love for us. We, We are granted peace. Regardless of circumstances, we are refreshed in our soul. There's a satisfaction for our hunger. There's a sense of belonging that is achieved in prayer. It doesn't just change things, as people have said. It changes me. It changes me. Now, that said, we also pray, in your notes, to change our situation. Because prayer can change situations. It can change things. Basis for that's Matthew 7, 7. He says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Man, I, he says it so many different ways to, to, to communicate that, that he is able to respond in the affirmative. Or which one of you, verse 9, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? You know? Or, or if he asks for fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, meaning if you're fallen, if you're corrupt humanity, if you are fleshly, if you are imperfect, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things? Underline good things. Good things to those who ask him. Pastor Scott, are you talking name it and claim it stuff? Not on your life. Not on your life. Because I think we can all say that we've prayed for things that the Lord did not grant. How do you reconcile that with what we just read? Uh, Theologian John Stott wrote the following. Listen to this. He says, being good, being good, our heavenly father gives only good gifts. Is that true? Would you buy that? that? Because he is perfect the gifts that he gives are going to be good. They're good gifts. He gives only good gifts to his children, right? Being good. But being wise, is God wise? Infinitely so. Being wise as well, he knows which gifts are good and which are not. If we ask for things which are not good, either not good in themselves or not good for us or for others, directly or indirectly, immediately or ultimately, He, God, denies them, and only he knows the difference. Wow. That is true. That's John Stott. Have you ever asked for something he didn't give you? Of course you have. Was there ever a time you waited for an answer, and it felt like he wasn't saying anything about it? Some of you are still mad about that, aren't you? It's been years, and you won't let it go. You're like, I can't believe God didn't do that for me. I prayed fervently for that, and he hasn't responded. 
And then for others, maybe the years have shown you the error of your request. You know? Uh, when I was in college, uh, I lived on the floor with uh, some ministry majors. There was uh, a lot of pastoral majors on my floor. Uh, there was this one guy, he lived several doors down. I was friends with his roommate. His roommate told me this story. He probably shouldn't have, but he did, and it's pretty funny. Um, this guy that I knew, he was asleep. He, he wasn't feeling well. He came home a little early one night, and he, he got into bed, turned the lights off and all that. Well, his roommate, this pastoral major, came back early from a date. He'd been out with his girl about three times. He was head over heels for this girl. He'd been praying, asking God to provide a mate because when you're, when you're gonna be a pastor, it's very important that you have a mate that is answering that call as well, that they're called to ministry like you are. And so he thought this was the one and he was just nuts for this girl. So far, she wasn't feeling it. She'd gone out with him, but she just wasn't quite in the same place that he was, but he was just crazy about her. Well, he came home from this date. He walks in that dark room. He thinks he's all alone. He hits his knees in the middle of the darkened room, and he just cries out to God. He goes, Lord, give her to me, like that. And the roommate's in the bed going, and this guy proceeds to just pour out his heart in tears. He was a very emotional guy. And without, without acknowledging his surroundings, he gets up without turning the light on, and he leaves the room to go down the hall to the bathroom. This roommate gets out of bed. He's like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. He flips on the light. He gets dressed quickly because he doesn't want his roommate to be embarrassed. The guy comes back from the bathroom, and this roommate's just kind of standing there, you know, like, you know, and he goes, oh, when did you get here? He goes, oh, I just, I just walked in, you know. He didn't want him to be embarrassed. Now, I know you hear stories like that, and people go, yeah, this guy I knew. Some of you are like, that was you, Pastor Scott. Was that you? <laughs> it was not me. I'm not going to deny praying prayers like that at different points in my life. Certainly, there were relationships as a young man that I asked God to, to, to bring to fruition, and, and he said No. Uh, and, uh, but you know, Facebook has a way of revealing the sovereignty of God, you know, (laughs) decades later, you just, you just look somebody up and you're like, Oh, (laughs) and of course they're doing the same thing when they look at your profile, they're like, you know, Hey, question, here's a question. If God knows our needs, as we've read, that he knows what you're going to ask before you ask it, if he knows that, why does he want us to pray? Why does he want us to pray? Uh, There's a Scottish theologian, P.T. Forsyth. He says, love loves to be told what it knows already. It wants to be asked for what it longs to give. God wants us to ask. Asking is the rule of the kingdom, says Spurgeon. And we pray, we pray to unify our will with the will of the Father. So we can ask, but the process is the key. And he wants us to pray. In fact, it's a sin not to pray. What does 1 Thessalonians 5 say? Pray without ceasing. That's a command. That's an imperative. He wants a constant spirit of prayer, but he also wants an intentional time of prayer. And we're going to talk about that in a bit here, all right? But how do we pray? That's the what. That's the why. What's the how? How do we do this? Incidentally, since this involves the Trinity, who do we pray to? Do we pray to the Father, the Son, the Spirit? Which one? It doesn't matter. You could pray to the Father. 
You can pray to the Son, it's going to get to the Father. You want to pray to the Spirit, get to the Son. They're all the same divine essence. They're three in one, and they're all equally divine in their essence and in their authority. And so you pray, and it all goes to the right place. But I want to give you an acronym, because I am, after all, a pastor. And we're addicted to these, okay? But it's the word acts. Acts, as in the book of Acts. The first letter is A, that's adoration. Your prayer needs to involve adoration. Now, you could look at a model prayer when Jesus says, this is how you should pray. We could do a little uh, analysis of the Lord's Prayer. But uh, this is kind of a shortcut to what we would discover in that process. So A is for adoration. Basically, you need to incorporate worship into your prayer. That's what adoration is. This is telling God all that he is. Is worship important in the Christian life? Yes. Is, is worship just singing? No, no, worship is, is, is actions that bring glory to God. It is words that bring glory to God, okay? Basically, this is you returning to the Lord what is due him. He is worthy. We get worship. It's an English word. Come from worth and uh, the, the suffix ship or skype, and it means a quality of worth. You are ascribing worth to God. You are telling him all that he is. When you pray, adore him. Psalm 145, 2, every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever, says the psalmist. You might say, well, you don't know how hard it is for me to do that right now. Pastor Scott, you have no idea. I've been through the ringer. I, 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 life has me up against the ropes. It is, it is the opposite of my inclination right now to praise. I don't even I don't even have a well from which that would come at the moment. I just don't feel like praising God right now because of what's going on in my life. You know what? I can relate to that. But because I can relate to that, I can also tell you there has never been a more important time for you to praise the Lord. Worship is essential for you, especially when life's got you on the run. You need to praise him. Uh, I, can, I can give you story after story after story of moments where I felt like I was at rock bottom and I was challenged to worship the Lord and I can't even begin to describe what that did for me. It changes your perspective because it takes your focus off of you and it puts it where it belongs. A is adoration. C is confession. I've already quoted 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just. Uh, you say, well, I did that when I was born again. Why do I have to do that every day? Well, it's not for salvation. It's not to change your status. It's not to change your standing, your position of righteousness. You are righteous. What is this about? It's about the depth of your intimacy with God. It's about the quality. It's about unifying. When you have unconfessed sin in your life, you are not unifying your will with the will of God. And so we confess so you can empty out all that is of you so that he can have full access to you, okay? He can, he, you submit through confession of sin. C is confession. T is thanksgiving, thanksgiving. Uh, same precept, same principle as worship. When you, are, when you are at rock bottom and you need to worship, you know what? There's always much to be grateful for, to be thankful for God. Spend time in prayer in gratitude, thanks to God, not just at mealtime. Lord, thank you for this meatloaf. 
you know, whatever. You be thankful at every time that you go to the Lord God. You start by thanking him for everything that he is doing in your life, everything that he has done in your life, in the lives of your family members, for giving you breath, for giving you life, for giving you mercy, for giving you forgiveness, for giving you salvation. Once you get going, I'm telling you, you'll never get to the end of that list. Uh, I think it was John Piper said, the opposite of pride is not humility, it's gratitude. Because when you have a spirit of gratitude, humility is assumed in that. You are thankful. It's not, you, you recognize, I didn't do this. This is a gift from a God who loves me. S is supplication. Supplication. Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious for about anything, or yeah, anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. What is supplication? That's, that's your request. That's when you ask God for things. Okay? And there's two different categories of that. There's petition. Petition, that's when you're asking God for things for you. You're praying for yourself. Is that okay? Is that all right to do? Yes. Some people feel weird about that. They're like, I, I don't know. I don't want to trouble God. Trouble God? I mean, you know he owns it all, Right? Is there any limit to him? No, he's limitless. Does he love you? Yes. Does he love to give? Yes. It's his nature. He's a giving God. You can't outgive him. So are you free to ask God for stuff? Absolutely. Are you, you're like, I can ask him for anything? Yeah. Am I going to get what I asked for? Not all the time. Can I ask God for a Tesla? Sure you can. Will he give it to me? Probably not. Probably not, because what did Jesus say? Whatever you ask, ask in my name that the Father may be glorified through the Son. Is the Father gonna be glorified through the Son by him granting you a Tesla? You, that's a tough case to make. It's possible. With God, all things are possible. But this is the spirit. You ask, the other category is called uh, intercession. Intercession. Petition is when you ask God for things for you. Intercession is when you go to the Father on behalf of someone else. You're praying for someone else. Lord, meet their needs. Lord, make them well. Lord, protect them. Provide for them. Guard their family. Help them with this addiction. You see, this is a selfless form of prayer. Nothing wrong with asking God for yourself, but intercession is when you are most like Christ. This is what the Spirit does for you when you don't know how to pray. He intercedes for you. He's asking on your behalf. So you have that opportunity to ask on behalf of someone else who may not know how to pray. And you intercede for them. You see how this makes us like him? Now, when? When do we pray? This is easy. We pray at all times. We pray at all times. First Thessalonians, pray without ceasing. You gotta be in church to pray? No, no. No, does it have to be bedtime for you to pray? No. Does it have to be mealtime for you to pray? No. We're to be in a constant state of prayer. Constant state, which means there's no specific posture. Now, sometimes we fold our hands, we close our eyes, sometimes we kneel, sometimes we get face down. All of that is appropriate in its context, but none of it is vital for you to communicate with God. 
We are constantly in a state of prayer. That's, that's what we are to be in, okay, at all times. But also, not just at all times, but at specific times. Because there should be intentional moments, planned moments, and it's good to have time set aside. If you don't make time, if you don't set time aside combined with Bible reading, remember that first week where we were saying, how do I spend time with Christ? That pattern that you establish must involve prayer. Time in the word and time in prayer. And that is going to be beneficial to your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you can pray when you're alone. And you should. Obviously, if you've got a set pattern of meeting with the Lord, you're going to be alone. We've read this. Uh, when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your God, your Father who is in secret. And he will see in secret and reward you. There is a set time where you're going to meet with God and there's no other distractions. There's nobody around. It's just you and him. And that frees you up to say whatever you need to say. Because you're not thinking about who is around you. But I will say this, and this is the last one. Some of the sweetest times that I've spent in prayer have been with other people. And so you can pray when you're with others. Acts 1, 14, right before the church was established, the disciples were gathered and the other followers of Christ. It says, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. Man, when you gather with other believers and you pray in concert with them, that is encouraging. It is uplifting. It is powerful. And you want to know something? I want to do that right now. I'd like you to turn to some folks around you. If you, want to, if you know someone is here and you want to go pray with them, I want to encourage you to do that right now. We're just going to spend a few moments in prayer before the Lord. And you can share some requests with one another. You can share some praises with one another. You can encourage each other. You can just worship the Lord Jesus together right now. Now, if this is new to you, and this is uncomfortable for you, You don't need to feel compelled. You don't need to feel embarrassed. But I just want you to give it a shot, all right? Let's do that right now. Just find a couple of prayer partners. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, that we are in your presence. We feel it, Lord. And to be in the shelter of one another is as you have designed. Thank you for the means that you have granted to stay in connection with you. Thank you for the family of God and the power that is in this place when two or more are gathered, Lord. I pray for everyone here as they go that they may stay in constant connection with you this week. May it be times of great sustenance, of great encouragement, a reminding that you are with us, that you never leave us, you never forsake us. And we give you all the glory for you alone are worthy. Jesus' name.